I am going to speak for just a few minutes on the Israel trip. Um, part one, maybe we'll get to part two at some point. I was hoping next month to start a series. We'll see. But um, I could not fit all of this trip into one lesson. It would have just been impossible. Uh, I told Brother Kavan, I'm going to cover about five days or half the amount of days that I was there. And even with those five days, you're only getting maybe 50% of the entirety of those five days. So uh, there is so much that we saw and we did, we experienced. Uh, we it was a trip that I took with my father and my two brothers, uh, and it was just a wonderful day. We first flew into Tel Aviv, and uh, we went from took a bus from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and that got to experience uh, most of Jerusalem in the first four to five days. Then we went over to the Sea of Galilee. And that area, and it really is incredible when you're there to see just how close everything is. And, you know, you can, we're not going to do it tonight. Uh, maybe in the next part two, we'll talk about the Sea of Galilee and all that. Uh, but from the Sea of Galilee, we took a boat on, out on the water. You can see almost every place that Jesus performed a healing or gave a lesson or something like that right there from the Sea of Galilee. And just about everything else he did, we traveled to those locations, especially Jerusalem, which we know that Jesus spent a lot of time there in Jerusalem. But you know, I, I can be honest and say right now, I was not prepared <laughs> for this trip. I, uh, you know, I knew we were going. I knew it was going to be a great trip. I uh, honestly wish that I had prepared myself a little bit more because that very first day, uh, even going from the, the airport to the hotel in Jerusalem, already I was seeing sights that I'd never seen before. Uh, and God was pouring into my spirit sermons and lessons almost immediately. On the drive, you can see, and I've, I've been blessed to go on many missions trips uh, when I was younger and even uh, as a, an older uh, minister, or I don't say older minister, but as a young man and a minister, I got to go as being leaders on missions trips, but I've never had the privilege to go someplace in the Middle East and uh, someplace like this, so this was completely new for me. The environment itself was new for me. I, and I remember, you know, we went to the hotel that first night after just a long, it takes 11 hours to get there. That's after we had to take a flight from Florida to New York. We were in Manhattan all day. We walked around and did a bunch of stuff, saw the 9-11 uh, uh, memorial and, and the uh, Empire State Building and uh, from afar, got to see the Statue of Liberty and, and a bunch of different sites from New York. We were kind of going all day. Then we get on this 11-hour flight, and we didn't sleep. It was very difficult to sleep. 
Um, I was getting banged on every, I was on the aisle row, so I was, every couple seconds somebody was putting their hands on me and kicking me and pushing me and punching me. So I didn't get a chance to sleep very well. So when we got there, got in the hotel, I was out. Uh, and then I woke up the next day thinking, okay, you know, here we go. Let's, we're going to be a light day. Um, you know, okay, I just got kind of stumbled up into the bus. And we drive to this location. Again, I don't really, I'm not paying attention to what the schedule said or what's going on. And we get to this place. We get out of the bus. We all get together, take a group photo. Then we turn around and I realize that right there I'm standing on the Mount of Olives looking at the Temple Mount right in front of me. Uh, and I'm going to show a lot of those pictures and we're going to go through a lot of those things. But to say I was not prepared for that moment would be an understatement. And I began at that moment to kind of just realize, wait a minute, this is a huge deal. And I hope that I can share with you just some of the amazing things that I saw. Uh, the first thing that I noticed up on the Mount of Olives, there was a Jewish celebration. They were dancing and uh, just praising God. And our tour guide told us it is because they were celebrating the 56th anniversary of the unification of Jerusalem. The 56th anniversary of Israel becoming a country, a nation again. Uh, and this is a, a big deal. In fact, Israel coming together after so long, uh, hundreds if not thousands of years, coming back together and becoming a nation is absolutely a miracle to itself and a fulfillment of prophecy. Many of you remember Ezekiel's Valley of Dry Bones? Now, there's so many lessons and sermons we can take out of that, that uh, uh, prophecy. I believe that there's grand meaning to it, uh, meaning there's, there's things we can take now about the breathing, the breath of life into it, talking about we can see that as prophetic to the city of Stuart. We believe God's going to bring life into some of these dry bones, people who have fallen away and, and hallelujah, backslidden from God. So we can see it there. But we also know that there is a specific meaning to that uh, prophecy. Specifically, the understanding is of the children of Israel. That one day the children of Israel would be so consumed, so desolated, so destroyed, they would be nothing more than a valley of dry bones. But with the help of God, those dry bones would slowly take life again. And I like to read Ezekiel chapter... Oh, that's not it. Let me see. I'd like, I'd like to read the scripture first, and then we'll go back to that. All right, I'm missing the scripture here. But you can see here, this is the Jewish celebration. Praise God. Now, as you hear that, think of these words, Ezekiel 37, 14. And he shall put my spirit in you, 
and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. There we go. And shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Now listen to this celebration. Go ahead and put that video back up there. Listen to this celebration. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. I think I'd be rejoicing too. Hallelujah. This is the fulfillment of those dry bones coming back together. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's why they're dancing and celebrating and worshiping and rejoicing. Now think about this. Not only did they, after so many years, have, have fallen away and, and been destroyed by this nation and that nation, but this is they're almost directly after. They became a nation only a few years after World War II and the Holocaust, where it is believed that six million Jews were killed and murdered in the Holocaust. We did have an opportunity to go to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. And there is a video here. This is a video. These books contain the names of every Jew that was slaughtered in the Holocaust. Let me also say, I took each and every one of these pictures and videos you're going to see today. That's how close we were and how personal this was. Even after six million Jews died in the Holocaust, God still brought the dry bones together. Hallelujah. God was still able to perform His word. Oh, let me tell you, if God's given you a prophecy, God's given you a word, hallelujah, look at that. You think it's over? You think it's done? You think those dry bones can't live? I'm here to tell you, God absolutely will do it. If He said it, He's going to do it. Amen. Now, this would be like if the American Indians would to rise up and retake the United States and push out our military from having control. Could you imagine such a world where that would be possible? That's what the Israelites did. That's what the Jews did. They were able to push out 600,000 Jews took on five Arab nations in order to win their independence. There's stories of 120 tanks taking on something like 120,000 Arab tanks and still coming out victorious. I'm talking about God is in it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And let me also be clear on this. Now, we don't support and believe that everything the Jews do is of God. Absolutely not. In fact, many of the Jews in Israel today are very left-leaning, very liberal in their beliefs. A lot of them are atheists today. But we do recognize the Bible says blessed is the nation that blesses the nation of Israel and cursed is the nation that curses the nation of Israel. Hallelujah. I believe in staying 
with Israel. Praise God. Hallelujah. And, and why is this such a big deal? Uh, I, I'm telling you, and it, it's, it's all inspiring to walk around in Israel. Around every corner, there's an Israeli soldier, part of the Israeli Defense Force. They're carrying weapons. I'm talking about major machine guns and uh, rifles with them. Every one of them have it. They're walking down the street. It's just a, it's, you get so comfortable with it. You don't even realize they're there. But around every corner, and I'll say uh, probably more than half that I saw were women. But they all do it. They all take on this responsibility of protecting themselves. You wonder why is that? Well, the nation of Israel is sitting smack dab in the middle of all of these Arab nations who have declared that they do not like the Jews. They want the Jews completely wiped out. But yet they've survived. And God is helping them to thrive even in this nation. Now, why do they hate the Jews so much? And what is the, the big deal? I, I'll tell you almost exactly why, though it's complicated. That right there is the reason. The Temple Mount, the Promised Land, absolutely. This Isaac standing on the Mount of Olives. Oh, standing on the Mount of Olives. I took that. Now, uh, I, I don't believe I put it in here, um, but I did want to say a couple things about the Mount of Olives before we get to the Temple Mount. Uh, it was, just, uh, again, incredible standing on the Mount of Olives, knowing that that's the location where Jesus stopped the disciples in Matthew 24. They were talking about how beautiful the temple was and all that. Jesus stops them and begins to tell them, this is nothing. See, see this temple? Now, that's not the temple right there. That is the, uh, the golden dome. Um, but there once was Solomon's temple there. And after that, uh, it was the second temple that was standing there. And then Cyrus the Great came in and beautified the temple. So the disciples were like, Jesus, look how beautiful this temple is. Well, Jesus made this statement. He said, not a stone will be standing of the temple. And sure enough, you walk up there, and I'll show you pictures on top of the temple mount in a minute. But you walk up there, there's not a single stone left of the old temple. Why not? And, and this is a question we asked often because there were several spots we went to where it was, we think this is where this happened. We think this is where the tomb of Christ was, which was incredible. We think this is where the, the uh, upper room was. Why, was it, why didn't God preserve these sites? Why didn't God set them apart and make sure that we knew this was the place of the second temple? I believe the reason why is because God said, I don't want this to be the place where my glory dwells. Hallelujah. No longer is this the place, but inside of you and inside of me is where the glory of God dwells. Hallelujah. For He will not be kept in a temple made with hands. No, but there will be a day, He said, where they who worship me must worship me in spirit in truth. You want to find Jesus? You don't need to go to Israel. You don't need to go to the Temple Mount. You just worship Him. Hallelujah. You search Him in Scripture. There 
go find the presence of the Oh, let's worship him for a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, so this is the Temple Mount. Forty major wars have been fought over the It is the most disputed 35 acres on the planet. No one could purchase the Temple Mount. Not a single person is rich enough to be able to purchase it. But I will say, although again, there's a balance that we as Christians have, spiritual Christians have, we know the Spirit of God does not rest on the Temple Mount anymore uh, in, in the sense of His glory being there. We know His glory is inside of us. But we also know that 37 times God said He would place His name on the, the Jerusalem. He would place His name there. In fact, if you get an overview site of Jerusalem, you will see in the landscape the Jew Hebrew word for uh, Jehovah. In the landscape, which is an incredible thing. The Israelite, now you wonder, well, why, why is this dome here, which is um, a Catholic uh, dome, and there's a mosque that's there as well. Why are these things standing, but not the temple? The reason is because when the Jews came in, they were under so much pressure from the United Nations and all of these different things. They wanted to be respectful. You see, when the Arab countries would come in, they would destroy everything that was Jewish. They would try to destroy any part that would say the Israelites ever lived in Jerusalem. Uh, in fact, they're on the, the Mount of Olives, there were grave sites. Uh, 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 over a million tombs there on the Mount of Olives. And you can see them. They're stone, almost like stone caskets. Uh, on half of them, there are newer ones. You could read the names. But about half of them, uh, down below at the bottom of the Mount of Olives, we asked them, why, why can't you read any names that are on these stones? They said, because when the Arabs control of the Temple Mount, the first thing they did was desecrate the graves just so that they would they left them but just took off all the names so that they wouldn't know who were there, so that, that no family could find their family member. So when the Jews came in, they said, we're not going to be like them. They refused to tear down any holy site or anything that would represent a different country or religion. They refused to do it out of respect to them. Now, even though Israel is in control of Jerusalem, in order to concede and be respectful toward them, they allowed even the Arab nations to be in control of the Temple Mount. Now, Israel still has their defense force up there. They've got weapons, but they're not allowed to go and worship on the Temple Mount because if they do, war would break out tomorrow. And more than likely, that's going to happen before all of this is said and done.
So that's exactly why this temple, this, this place right here is the most disputed land. It's because the Muslims claim that this is their holy site. Uh, the Christians claim this is their holy site. And the Jews also claim this as their holy site. And everybody wants control. Uh, but man, if they only knew, hallelujah, the presence of God and the Spirit even here tonight, then praise the Lord. If only there were people seeking the Spirit and presence of God like they seek after the Temple Mount, then maybe, just maybe, they could change their lives. Praise God. We walked down from Mount of Olives, down the Palm Sunday Road. Again, I was not, I was not expecting, I was not aware. I didn't even know like a narrow road that we were walking down. It was a very difficult road to walk down. And I was stumbling down it, and there were cars going by. We get all the way down it, then they say, hey guys, that's the road Jesus took on a donkey heading to the Temple Mount. I said, I just walked the same road Jesus walked on. Praise God. Hallelujah. Just an awe-inspiring thought. We got to see the southern gate. I think I may have put a picture here. The southern gate, again, I took that. Um, that is the gate that, that Jesus specifically walked in riding the donkey. That's the gate where they waved the palms and they introduced him in. Now this next place, I'd like to uh, kind of open it up first. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. We know that Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane had His greatest fight, His greatest battle with His flesh. He had to submit His flesh. He told the disciples, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He had to submit his flesh, the weak man, to the spirit which is God inside of him. Hallelujah. He prayed and said, God, Father, not my will, but thine be done. The Bible tells us he was under such agony that his sweat, his sweat pores begin to seep out blood. That's how much agony that Jesus was in, knowing that there were soldiers coming to take him in order to crucify him. Hallelujah. We got to visit this site. Got to walk next to what is considered today the garden of Gethsemane, the place of Jesus' final prayer meeting. Hallelujah. It was an incredible sight. This here is an olive tree that has been dated to be around 2,000 years old, meaning that that olive tree right there could very well have been there when Jesus came and prayed those prayers. As I was there, I couldn't help but to think, and, and we've talked about it here of late, of those soldiers coming to Jesus. 
falling backwards because of the words and the power of Jesus' voice. Peter taking his sword out, cutting the ear off of one of the servants of the high priests. Why didn't those soldiers come and kill him right then? He's got a sword out. Why didn't they slew him? Why didn't they just take him out? Jesus completely stopped the situation. He picked up that ear from the ground and the Bible says he put it back on his head and healed the servant of the high priest's ear to where it went back on his head. And it was recognized, that prophecy, that Jesus lost none. He should have lost Peter in that moment. But because Jesus' power and healing, Peter had a chance to get away and those soldiers did not get him. Oh, I'm here to tell you, he's not going to lose a single one. He's not going to lose a single one. Yes, he prayed that over the disciples, but you know he also, the Bible says he also prayed that over all who listened to their words and believe on their word. Do you believe on the words of the apostles? Uh, then guess what? He's not going to lose not a single one. Uh, hallelujah. Not until it's our time. Uh, he won't lose a single one. Praise God. Uh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We walked the Valley of Kidron, which is right at the base of the Temple Mount. You can see it there. That's the, the Temple Mount, the walls, the southern walls. That's the valley. Now, I don't want to go too, too into it. Um, I don't have all the verses, and I, again, I'd be here all night. Uh, but this is the place where the final battle of Armageddon, and, and I actually went to Armageddon, Megiddo, uh, and I can show that in the next uh, time we do this, part two. But that battle is going to end up right there. in the. We're talking about the final war on earth. It's going to end up right there in the valley of Kidron. And that's where all of a sudden the skies are going to split open and Jesus is going to descend from the heavens. And the Bible says he's going to place his feet on the Mount of Olives. And all the Jews who have all the nations of the world coming after them, they're going to run to Jesus. They're going to say, Jesus, who are you? And he's going to show them the scars in his hands, the Bible says. And at that moment, the Bible says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We walked down the valley of Kidron. We got to see several amazing sights. That right there is the tomb of Absalom. That's the big pointy building right there, uh, structure. And in behind that, kind of the little cave, that is the tomb of Jehoshaphat. Uh, characters in the Bible, important characters in the Bible. This right here is the tomb of Zechariah. Zechariah lived a thousand to five hundred years before Christ. And then you see it pans over. That's the valley of Kidron that we are walking in right there. And then it pans up to the Temple Mount, the uh, corner of the southern wall right there. Hallelujah. 
But again, imagine seeing, you've got a book in your Bible called the book of Zechariah. That's the tomb of that prophet that we just saw. His body is buried right in there. We walked down the Kidron Valley. We found um, the pool of Siloam. We didn't get a chance to go into it. It was under construction. We moved on to Bethlehem. Yes, we went to Bethlehem. We visited a cave that is much like the cave that Jesus was probably born in. We always call it stable, and you usually see like a, a farm structure, a building. That's probably not what it was like that day. Or so it was more of a, a cave that they would uh, keep their animals in. And that would be the place where Jesus was born. But the significance of the place we went is it's called the shepherd's field. It is the location where the shepherds were keeping their sheep. And let me read this to you. Luke chapter 2 verse 8. And there were... In the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. I'm not following along. I apologize. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, good will toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with hope, with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when you see this, imagine the hosts of angels in the sky rejoicing, saying, singing that song, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. That right there is the valley of the shepherds. That's where they were standing when they witnessed those angels. Can we clap our hands today? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we praise you, God. Hallelujah. Now, I can tell you, after seeing all this, there's just no doubt the Bible you're reading is true 
it's real. You can see the evidence of it right there. Right next to Bethlehem, there's a field called the Shepherd's Field. Hallelujah, that's where the angels came. I am so thankful that I know Him. I'm so thankful He's given me His Word. Himself to me. Praise God. There we went back to the hotel. The next day we visited, it was probably one of the most amazing uh, sights. Don't have time to tell you why today. I'm going to skip through this quite quickly, but I am going to show you uh, just very quickly the site. This is Qumran, and if you don't know what that is, it is the location where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, you may remember I talked about the Dead Sea Scrolls quite a bit. That right there is a famous cave. You, you go and Google Dead Sea Scrolls, you're going to see that picture right there, that image right there of that cave. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls are basically the evidence. I took that picture. That's not a Google picture. I took that. Hallelujah. But it is today, the way we know our Old Testament, how do we know our Old Testament is real? How do we know that our Old Testament is the same Old Testament? It hasn't been changed hundreds of times through the years. I mean, if the Old Testament was written when the time we believe it was written, you're talking about 4,000 years ago. How could that be possible? Well, because of that right there. These scrolls found in Qumran are over 2,000 years old. And today, they match up to our scriptures almost word for word with the exception of things like the that we added in to make it make more sense. But with the exception of that, almost word for word. And they have found almost the entire Old Testament in these caves dating 2,000 plus years ago. It is an amazing thing. Hallelujah. Praise God. You can't tell I'm excited about it. But again, I pull up. It was after this moment is when I stopped being surprised. I said, I'm not going to be called surprised. Because we pull up and we walk out there and I'm like, what is this place? This place is beautiful. Then they start telling the story and my mind just blows up. And I go, wait a minute. This is where we're at. I didn't even realize we were at Crumran and at this location. So I didn't get very many pictures. You saw the videos and pictures I actually got. I'm very upset about it. <laughs> next time I go, I'll get more pictures. There will be a next time. Uh, but we went from there to Masada, which is not a biblical site, but it is an important site in the Jewish history. There, uh, you can go look that up. But let's just say it is an incredible site. I don't have very many things to show but this is up on Masada, which is a mountain. That's the Dead Sea over there. But you can see just the incredible visual that we got up on top of that mountain. Masada is a fortress built by the Romans and then took it, taken over by the Jews. And then basically the Romans came to try to destroy the Jews. And uh, it's a whole long story. I won't get into all of it today, um, but it's an incredible story. Uh, but the Jews ended up falling. But that place has become kind of a symbol to the Israelites. Our tour guide, who was in the Israeli Defense Force, 
he and his army, his platoon, in training, they were forced to go up this mountain. Now, I'm talking about it, it's an incredible hike. You, it, it, you can't go up there as an army. You, there's a stairwell way. You, that's the only way you can get up there, stairs. Now they've built a, uh, uh, what's it, a lift. I didn't have to walk up the stairs. I took the lift up. Hallelujah. But there's, and they're so small, the stairs are like this big. And they made the army climb up all the way up those stairs to get up there. And basically they determined and they said, we will never let Masada fall again. And that's the conviction of the Israelites even today. That's their stand. Uh, and they will never let it fall again. Um, so it's just, again, an incredible story. Day three, we went to the Temple Mount. Before I show you pictures of the Temple Mount, let me make the, the, uh, set the scene here. The Temple Mount is where Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice in Genesis chapter 22 and 2. It's the location of the threshing floor of Arana, uh, where David sacrificed, made a sacrifice in order to stop the plague. 2 Samuel 24, 15 through 16. It's, of course, the location that Solomon's temple sat in, the second temple. It is the place where fire fell from heaven on the sacrifice. And let's read that. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. This took place right here on the Temple Mount. This is the most sought-after piece of land on the planet Earth. That is the Dome of the Rock. There's also the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is down uh, the way there. I didn't put that on here. But you can see right there, that area that the camera is going to right there, that is where they believe the temple stood. It's also the location where they believe the next temple is going. Uh, again, I didn't have time to put it all in here. We don't have time to cover it tonight. But the Jews are absolutely ready to build the third temple on the Temple Mount. They've got it all already built. Stored away. The moment they get permission... There, that temple is going to go up probably in a matter of weeks. It'll be up in the Temple Mount, ready to worship. They took us into the Temple Institute, where they have already built the brazen altar, the brazen laver, the table of showbread, the candlesticks, 
the uh, 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 brazen uh, altar and the uh, altar of incense, rather, and the Ark of the Covenant. They've already built all of those things to the biblical specifications. They've got the red heifer, which will allow them to cleanse the priests. They've already designed the, the priest garments specifically to the biblical specifications. They are ready tomorrow to put that and to resume their worship and their sacrifices. Now, why is that significant? Well, the Bible prophesies that there will be a third temple built. And that third temple, more than likely what's going to happen is the third temple is going to be built. They're going to resume animal sacrifices. And there's going to be a bunch of people who get very angry about it. Probably a lot of animal rights people are going to say, why are you doing this? Now, again, we recognize there's no power in that, not anymore. That was only to push it off until Jesus came. Jesus was the sacrifice, and that one sacrifice redeemed all for eternity. Hallelujah. He brought salvation unto all of us. But it's going to be at that moment that a man's going to stand up. The Bible says, in the temple, and he's going to tell everybody, you don't need to do sacrifices anymore. I am your God. You worship me. That man is going to be the Antichrist. And he is going to, at that point, get all the nations of the world to bow down and worship him. That's probably going to become the beginning of the mark of the beast and all of those things. Uh, so that's why that is significant because they're ready right now to build that temple. We're seeing, we could see this within the next couple of years, this take place. Uh, I'm telling you, we are close to the final fulfillment of all the prophecies in the book of Revelation. We're close to all of this happening. This right here is called uh, the Dome of the Spirits. The reason that this is significant is because this is the exact place they believe the most holy place was from the temple. The most holy place. Hallelujah. Praise God. I, 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 I thank God that now I'm the most holy place though. Hallelujah. Are you the most holy place? <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't you know that your body is not your own for you've been bought with a price? <laughs> Hallelujah. That's why the Bible says to worship Him with your body and spirit, which are the Lord's. Hallelujah. That's why I want to walk in holiness. I want to walk in purity. I don't want to live any old way for my flesh. I want to live for the Lord because I've become the most holy place. Praise God. Praise God. This is another thing, and I don't have time to get on in all that. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hurry. But here's another observation I made. Many of the women and men in Israel are very modest. Um, most of the places you go in Jerusalem, specifically, they were very modest. All the women wore dresses and skirts. They wore uh, head coverings most of the time. Um, they just they wanted to make sure their bodies were covered. Pretty much any place we went in Israel, that was the case, with few exceptions. There was one little marketplace. I don't know why. This marketplace was this way. 
But we went to this little marketplace, and there were so many 20 to 30-year-old young women with children. Every one of them had children, like babies. And they were walking around, and they were so, every one of them had dresses and skirts down to their ankles, and they were very just modest. I probably saw 50, 60 uh, young women who looked like that. They're at this marketplace, and they're just walking around. And But the, the thing that I observed was a lot of them still were very decked out. They were modest in their outward appearance, but they had a lot of jewelry on, a lot of makeup on, and they were very showy. Some of them even looked very clownish, if you will. Just a whole lot of makeup, a whole lot of stuff. And, and God began to really deal with me on this. And I began to, to consider scripturally in the Old Testament, we see a lot of scriptures about modesty. A lot of scriptures talking about having distinction of dress between male and female. But it's not until we get to the New Testament. The Old Testament focuses on that outward appearance of modesty. But the New Testament focuses on the inward modesty and how that modesty and humility is part of the Spirit of God. And I thought, man, that's why we have the culmination where, yes, outwardly we want that, but it starts from the inside. You could see these shells of people who were not modest on the inside. That's where God says, look, I don't want you just to be modest on the outside. I want you to have a humble heart, a heart that has shamefacedness, a heart that is meek. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm thankful today for New Testament modesty. Then we went to, so this was something I observed on the Temple Mount. You know, I thought I'd feel something. I thought I'd get up there, and they told us very clearly, you cannot pray on the Temple Mount. You cannot pray. In fact, they even told us you're not allowed to laugh on the Temple Mount because people will come, um, many of the Muslims will come and tell you you're not allowed to do that. They will yell at you, maybe even cast you out. So we weren't allowed to laugh. We weren't allowed to pray. They, they have strict rules on the Temple Mount. But I thought while I was up there, I'd feel something, you know. I'd feel the presence of God. Maybe a tingle or something, you know. You're, you're reaching for that. But I really did not feel anything except for kind of this intensity there. But I didn't feel the presence of God. I didn't feel the peace of God like I do even here in church. And I told that I sent a message to the leaders right when we left about this experience. And I just, while I'm up there, uh, that was on a Sunday. While I'm up there on the Temple Mount, all I could think about was how I wish I could be back home at HPPC because I knew the presence of God was here. And all I could think of, this, it would feel better today at church than up here on the temple. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, the presence of God is here. And we can be thankful for the Lord and His presence. But we did leave the temple mount. We went down to the western wall, or what is known as the wailing wall. I did feel the presence of God here. In fact, I got an opportunity to take a piece of paper, which is tradition. You take a piece of paper and you write down your prayer request and you go and put it in the wall. I wrote down on there uh, my 
family, that God would bless my family, that God would bless church, HPPC. I put Higher Purpose Pentecostal Church on that piece of paper, and I put that God's will would be done in my life. And I went down to that wailing wall, and I put it inside the wall, and I got a chance to pray, and the presence of God was there, and I felt God touch me so greatly, and I wanted to give you an opportunity to see this. They are there praying for the rebuilt third temple. They're praying that God would give them an opportunity to rebuild. That's why it's called the Wailing Wall, because they are wailing and weeping for their third temple. And I went down there, and all I could do was thank God for His presence and thank the Lord that He's made me the temple of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Day four, I'm hurrying now. Day four, we left there. We did several other things. I don't have time to show all that. Day four, we walked the Via Dolorosa. Uh, now, there wasn't a lot of pictures there. We asked them, is this the same Via Dolorosa that Jesus walked on? They said, well, probably not because it's been rebuilt and broken down and all that so much that it's not likely the same road, but it is uh, still some of it could have been where Jesus walked. But we came to this archaeological site, and this is what uh, we, we saw. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Now, um, we were driving to this location, and I don't know why. Again, I was at this point, I was not paying attention much to the schedule. I didn't know where we were going. We were supposed to go to the Pool of Bethesda the day before. We didn't get a chance to. But in that bus ride, we were driving to this location, and I remember just all of a sudden I started to think about miracles and signs and wonders, healings that we've seen in the church. I started to think about, God, I believe you want to use me more in miracles and signs and wonders. I believe you want me to, to pray for people more and, and do all that. And I said, but God, sometimes my faith gets in the way and I feel like my faith is not strong enough to do what you want me to do and to see the things you want me to see. And I prayed specifically. I said, God, if it's your will, that I see these things. Have you want me to walk in the gifts of the Spirit like I believe you want me to? If you want me to see these things happen, I pray that today you'll show me something that will increase my faith. Then we go and we walk up to the pool of Bethesda. We sit down just a couple of feet from the archaeological site and the man who was host over it, he asks, the crowd that's there, he starts talking about miracles, 
I thought, God, what are you doing? He asked the crowd there, he says, I want to know by a show of hands, who here has ever been healed in a miraculous way in your body? Would you raise your hand? Out of 82 people, I would say probably 70 of them raised their hands. And God put in my spirit and said, see, that's how I work. That's how I want to work in your life. That's how I want to work in the church. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He went on to read this passage of Scripture, John 5 and 5. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. On the same day was the Sabbath. You're about to see the pool of Bethesda that Jesus healed that man. Right down there is where they believed the pool was. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, Jesus still does miracles today. Amen. Hallelujah. And I believe God wants to show us miracles in this place. Praise the Lord. And I, we went to the final place that I'll show you today on day five. This was our first uh, occurrence, our first activity that day. I know I keep saying this. Maybe it's hard to believe. I think God probably did this for a reason. Because when I started to obsess over every little place and, and doing all that, it was like it wasn't a surprise when we got there. One last surprise. We went to this place. And although I knew that day we were going to visit this, I didn't realize what we were doing. We walked up this place and walked up these stairs. All of a sudden, we found ourselves in a room. And God, uh, the, the man, he began to tell us this story and reveal to us what it was. It says on Acts chapter 1, verse 12, Then returned man to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet. This is after Jesus had arisen from the Mount of Olives, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room. This right here is what they believed, and this, this is where they continued. Sister Mian talked about this only days before I went there. Uh, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, Mary the mother of Jesus, and his brethren. This is where they believe the upper room was. Praise God. Now, it doesn't seem like a very significant room. You compare that to the temple Probably is not worth much. But I can tell you, we had one of the greatest moves of God right there in that building than we did on the Temple Mount or anywhere else. And I want to give, and hopefully you'll be able to hear him, he reads Acts chapter 2 
verse 1 through 4. So the Bible says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all, they were in up in an upper room. They were all, um, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house um, where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost began to speak with other tongues and the Spirit gave them utterance. So when the Holy Ghost came, they all began to speak with other tongues. It was the evidence that they had received the Holy Ghost. It was not simply that they believed they felt like God was trying to feel a spiritual experience. When they received the Holy Ghost, the Bible says they all began to speak with other tongues other tongues. There were people, if we go on down the chapter, there were people from many nations that were here. And the Bible says that they recognized, well, they had actually known How about we stand today? Hallelujah. This is when we began to pray. You probably heard this on Sunday. Hallelujah. We lifted up our hands and all of a sudden the Spirit of God was poured out. Hallelujah. And it reminded me it doesn't take a temple. It doesn't take the temple out. It doesn't. All it takes is somebody who is hungry and desiring of the Spirit and the presence of God. Oh, wondering right now, can we go ahead and let the Spirit of God be poured out today? Could you lift up your hands and say, God, I am your temple, Lord Jesus. I want you to dwell inside of my heart. I want you to dwell inside of me. Make me the holy place. Make me the location of your Spirit and your presence. Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Take me, Lord Jesus. Oh, I want your presence in my life. I want your Spirit in my life. Ikala da ba